Hey everyone. I'm starting to get self-conscious that I always seems like I always start these with hey everyone and I haven't actually gone back to check if that is in fact the case. Um, it'd be very easy for me to click back through through my podcasts and see if that's the case, but it's it's a creeping fear and I find doing these so frequently uh, insecurity creeping in as I ask myself, do I say the exact same thing every time I start one of these? Well, I don't know, but I suppose we've already wasted enough time asking that question. Nonetheless, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. Uh, today marks the first devotional of our time in third John, the letter of third John. Uh, last week we finished up Second John, a week in Second John, and now we're going to do two weeks in Third John. Um, hopefully, if if you're listening to this, you've you've already started reading through this a few times this week. It is now Thursday uh, as I'm recording this. Um, so hopefully you've made it through the book a few times. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or noticed this, but uh, these two books are actually the two shortest books in in all of the Bible. Third uh, John, in fact, is the shortest, and Second John is the second shortest, which makes them great candidates for uh, just reading and rereading through them multiple times over the course of a week. Uh, it's easy to look at a, a little bitty book like this and think uh, it's not that substantive. There's not that much going on. Uh, you know, I'm, maybe you're more fired up by one of the Gospels or something like Roman, something that's just so dense and meaty and long. But nonetheless, our, our, our theology tells us that these are, these short books, just as much are the inspired Word of God and have been included in our canon of Scripture uh, according to God's will, because He wants us to have them and He wants us to treasure them and He wants us to view them as reliable sources for His words. Uh, and so it's great that we can kind of digest the whole of these short letters uh, quickly and repeatedly time and time again. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, we will be in this book of Third John uh, through the rest of this week and into next week uh, with a handful of devotions coming at you. Um, as we jump into Third John, I just want to give a little bit of background. Um, as, as with the other letters of John, there's some debate about who actually authored the thing. Um, but, but we're going to take the, what, what seems to be kind of the majority evangelical position that uh, the, the author here of Third John is, is the same. I mean, almost everyone thinks that third, Second and Third John were written by the same person. Um, but what we would also say is that not only were they the same person, but they're the same person who wrote First John and who wrote the Gospel of John, which is uh, the beloved disciple, that, that uh, John from, from the inner 12 disciples that walked with Jesus. In fact, from the inner three of, of Peter, James, and John, who, who seemed to have one of the most intimate relationships with the Lord of all of the disciples. And here, once again, uh, written right around the same time as, as first and second John, probably the 90s AD, some 60 years after Jesus's earthly ministry took place. So once again, just, just John, now the old sage with, with a, a lifetime of following Jesus now with the Holy Spirit indwelling him, um, and now trying to, to trying to write in this case a, a personal letter to an individual uh, to try to strengthen him and and, and raise uh, just a couple of issues that that were on his heart at the time. 
So today we're just going to look at the first four verses of Third John. Um, let's read them. It says, uh, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And we'll pause there. Um, well, first, it's interesting to note, again, once again, the, the author identifies himself as the elder that we're taking as, as John, the disciple. And he's writing to a particular individual, this, this guy named Gaius. Um, and that's sort of interesting. Um, there's actually several people, it appears, named Gaius in the New Testament. We see um, a, a Gaius who was an associate of, of Paul um, in Acts 19. Um, there's a, a Gaius from the city of Derby. we see in Acts 20. Um, we see reference to a convert um, named Gaius in 1 Corinthians 1. And it's possible that um, this Gaius that, that John's writing to here in 3 John is one of these same uh, men. It's also possible that it's not. We just we don't have enough information or context in this letter to really uh, decide on that. And I'm not sure that it really makes a big difference for us. But what I just want to note is that this is a personal letter. Um, John had a real relationship uh, with this man, Gaius. And uh, the two of them, real people, feeling real things, feeling real affection for one another, having real relational dynamics and circumstances and um, issues that are coming up ar around them that they need to talk about. Um, just, just remember that, that letters like this may be divinely inspired scripture, but, but they're, they're no less genuinely personal relational documents as well. And that's just, that's the beauty. That's part of the beauty of the, of our vision of the Christian scriptures that it parallels Jesus himself, fully God and fully man, um, lacking nothing of what's essential to either humanity or divinity. And the scriptures are, are, are similar. It's, of course, it's not a one-to-one -one parallel, but the scriptures are, uh, have full human authorship and we believe they have full divine authorship as well as the, as the spirit carried along the writers. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's worth noting that the, the personableness and the personality and the, the particularness that's found in a letter like this is really fascinating, interesting, and it, it lends a dignity uh, to our relationships into, into the specific individual relationships that we have. Um, not everything, not every great truth has to be uh, with the universal in mind. It can just be uh, from one brother to another, one sister to another, and so on and so forth. Um, and I love what I love what John says here. He says, beloved, just this, this warm term of endearment. He says, I pray. So I pray for you. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And so he, he's sort of saying like, and the letter is going to bear out, this Gaius has, has been someone who's been shown to be faithful, close to Jesus, walking in the truth. It is well with their soul, with Gaius's soul, because he's close to Christ. But his prayer is that not only will will it go well with your soul, but that it may go well with all of you, with the whole of you, that you may find good health as well. 
And that's not always, those things don't always come together. It's no guarantee uh, that, that, that just because um, you have peace and joy, salvation, hope, uh, Jesus in your heart and in your soul and in your innermost core, um, just because that might, though that may be true, it may be true at the same time that you have immense physical suffering, immense circumstantial hardship or whatever else. Nonetheless, John's prayer is that for you, Gaius, I hope that your external circumstance um, is just, that things are just as well as they are with your internal circumstance. Um, This is a good thing uh, for us to pray for one another. And we can follow John's example into that. So then verse 3, he he mentions, he, he kind of describes Gaius uh, more specifically. He says, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. Um, so there's evidently some, some Christians who are sort of traveling back and forth between their two cities or their two church communities, perhaps. Um, and some of these Christians brought word back to John that, that this Gaius is in the truth. He's walking in the truth. He is, he's standing firm in the gospel as has been proclaimed from the beginning and who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's accomplished for the world, what it means to follow after him faithfully now, uh, to walk in his grace, uh, to keep his commands, um, and so on and so forth. Um, and he, 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 so it's a source of joy that he got this testimony. And then verse four just puts this all into, into much clearer context. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And this just echoes the heart of Jesus in his high priestly prayer, even in John 17 that we looked at several weeks ago. Jesus prayed to the Father for, for his followers that the Father would sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so they also may be sanctified in truth. It was Jesus's heart even his prayer to God the Father, that his people would be hemmed close in to the truth, um, that they would walk in it, that it would characterize every aspect of their lives. Um, and that walking verb just, just implies as well not only right belief, holding the, the right doctrine, but also just pressing forward into uh, right action that uh, to truly walk in the truth is not only to internalize it, to believe it, to understand it, to have intellectual assent to it or whatever, but it's, it's to walk in it. Jesus says we demonstrate our love for him by keeping, by obeying his commandments. Um, and so Gaius is just evidently showing all kinds of evidence of this kinds of faithfulness, both um, both in how he speaks and how he thinks and in how he acts. And, and the letter is going to go on to show how he evidences this in just his hospitality um, for uh, these other people who are coming through, who are kind of itinerant preachers or evangelists or whatever, who Gaius is going to offer hospitality to. We'll talk about that next time. Um, but I, I think to... to 
kind of wrap this up and keep it keep it tight i think the question here is man do we do we share this heart with john that where we could say with with genuineness that there is no greater joy for us than to see our loved ones walking in the truth of christ like is it is it really the case i have to ask myself this is it really the case that when I see a friend, a family member, um, a member of the community, or a stranger, whatever, truly walking with Christ, truly evidencing his fruit in their life, does that fill me with joy? Or is it sort of old hat? I think what John helps us see here is that when you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that in, it is in fact the case that final, ultimate joy, that peace, that reconciliation with God, that purpose, um, that healing, that restoration, that hope, all these things are only found in him. When we really believe that, we will find joy welling up when we see others lean closely into him. It's not old hat. It's not something we're desensitized to. It's not something we're not invested in. It's evidence of the God of the universe making his real goodness known in the life of someone that we love. And this, I mean, this just goes back to all these themes that John has captured so beautifully, that the love of God and the love of neighbor are, are inextricably tied. And so when we see a neighbor, when we see a loved one, when we see an enemy for that matter, come to see and know and experience and walk in the truth. If we really love that person, this is going to be an incredible moment of celebration, <laughs> incredible moment of joy. We're going to witness it for the miracle that it is and celebrate because we know that, that this neighbor who we're commanded to love and hopefully we are growing in actual love for is experiencing the absolute best thing they could, which is intimacy with the risen Lord. And so I think that's, that's a good place to stop for us. It's, it's a good question to ask. What is our response to seeing those around us walking in the truth. Is it old hat? Or is it one of the deepest sources of joy in our lives? Because we know just how good God is and we know just how loved his people are. So why don't we end there? Uh, and if you have time to pray when this audio devotional finishes, pray that the Lord would give you a heart that rejoices deeply when we see our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our actual family members, and even strangers um, walking in the truth with Christ.